Introducing Free Indeed, a podcast for Kingdom women. Join us for conversations about the practical issues Kingdom women encounter in our varied walks of life. We'll cover topics from girlhood to grandmotherhood, from bearing fruit to bearing burdens, from domestic bliss to domestic violence, from women of old to women of tomorrow, all in the light of God's word. Welcome to episode two of the Kingdom Women podcast. We're excited to be doing this again, and we have a topic that we've been kind of itching to discuss. We've got a question, actually, that we'd like to um, get answered, and we'll see what we get answered tonight. But our question is this, what in the world is a virtuous woman? You know, that Proverbs 31 woman that we're all supposed to um, aspire to be? Just curious. You, uh, how many of you really feel like you fit the bill? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't find it off-putting myself. But I really want to know what it means and what it requires. You know, I don't think it's a requirement for women. I think it's a standard. And I have a feeling that uh, that there's something really applicable to 21st century women. And I'd love to know what it is and what it means. Yeah. She runs her dishwasher at all hours of the night. <laughs> I don't know a dishwasher. I love to wash dishes. <laughs> She's a virtuous woman. <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely this idea that it's like the perfect domestic goddess housewife. And the more I look into scripture, the less that that's really emphasized at all. That's, that's true. Well, she does a lot of running around in business transactions for being just the perfect <laughs> domestic lady. She kind of got it all. But. I kind of wonder, she must be really super to have all that money or else her husband's pretty rich. <laughs> I think she has a rich husband for sure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's hopeless. <laughs> he must be doing something a little more than just sitting in the gates. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what's he doing all day sitting in the gates for? Investment banking. Okay. <laughs> Investment banking. And he's got servants. I have, oh. I have an answer to that, maybe. Um, the gates, the city gates, was where um, business transactions took place. If you think about um, where uh, Ruth was redeemed, Boaz went to the gates, and that's where the redemption happened, was at the city gates. So... Oh. Um, that was like the happen in place to be, I guess. Um, I, I'm going to look, I, I suggest, Rebecca, that you tell us what the Greek virtuous actually means there. I'll look up that question. Uh, Proverbs 31, starting with verse 10 up to the end, is actually an acrostic poem, meaning that the first line starts with the letter A, the next line starts with the letter B, and we unfortunately don't have that in the English. Um, in the English, it's just a normal like chunk of the book of Proverbs, but it was actually a poem, not, not exactly a proverb proverb, if you know what I mean. Um, we have a few cases of that in the Bible. It's kind of like Psalm 119, which your Bible probably has going from the first Hebrew letter to the last letter. And also, I think the book of Lamentations has, has a couple of acrostic poems as well. 
So that was a, it, it's a device to help you remember because you, if you have a list that goes like A something, B something, C something, then you remember it and it's kind of like a, a little artistic there. So it starts with, oh, I just, I, guess I have it here. So a virtuous woman, it's like Eshes Chayil. It means woman of valor or woman of the KJV. And a lot of the English translations use the word uh, virtue. But in the Jewish translation, it's translated valor. Which I like I kind of, Yeah. <laughs> I kind of feel it's more accurate. Women can be soldiers of the Lord. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was what was fascinating to me, looking through the Old Testament and seeing where it was used. It's actually used in Proverbs 31 about a man, where his mother, Lemuel's mother, saying, don't give your strength to women. Like, don't throw away your power. Oh, wow. That's, that's Kyle. No way. Yeah, it's Kyle. I have a whole list of them. If you want me to read them. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. Give us a couple. Yeah. Kyle as in K-Y-L-E? C-H-A-Y-I-L. Kyle. <laughs> Not a vegetable, Gwen. <laughs> uh, in Exodus, we see it all throughout the Old Testament. This, the word is used a couple hundred times, so it's not just here. It's used in Exodus where Moses is telling the men, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God. That word able, that's the same word. Wow. Uh, when it's used over and over and over of soldiers, I think a big example that I found was Exodus 14.4, where God was saying, I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, all of his soldiers. That word is chayil. Hmm. Uh, and then in, in Deuteronomy, it talks about the men who are ready for the war. Uh, and VSV uses valor there. It's the same word. Men that are ready for battle. Um, I, I thought it was really neat. In, in Ruth, in 2.1, it uses Chayil to talk about Boaz. But right after, in 3.11, it uses it for Ruth. Um, it, it's used over and over again about David about the men who fought against him and the men who fought with him. And in 2 Samuel twenty-two thirty-three, it said, this God is my strong refuge and has made my way blameless. That's Chayil. Strong refuge. Strong refuge, yeah. So for, for it, it's not, I think I, I've seen virtuous in, in Proverbs 31 interpreted as, you know, maybe domestic or quiet or submissive and i don't think any of these sound like that to me it sounds like someone who's who's ready to fight mm -hmm. like could could that word mean empowered empo i think it i think it's empowered and it's it's endowed um one another example was in jeremiah 61 and this is the last one i'll give you guys 61 10 it was talking about, you shall eat the wealth of the nations. And that was over and over in Jeremiah and Ezekiel about wealth. That we have, you know, we're going to get all of these things from warfare. We're going to get them. That's Chayil. So it's a woman who is em empowered by God. And I think by her husband. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's interesting to me how closely that parallels the translation of the Ezer Isa Konegdo, I don't know how to say it in Genesis, when we were supposed, mm. God said he was making a woman to be this 
I'm going to say it my way. It's not the way the Hebrew is pronounced, but Ezer Konegdo. But he is actually, that, that word elsewhere, that Ezer is pronounced, is, is used for God almost all through right. the Old Testament. And I have a whole list of scriptures where it's used. It is his strong tower, his refuge, his rescuer. It kind of means savior and helper. Mm -hmm. We, we have taken so much strength out of these words and reduced them to, to, um, like, is it okay to use someone's name, like Debbie Pearl? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, her book literally says women are created, man has a purpose, and woman's job is to help him reach that purpose. Like, God didn't create us for anything ourselves, except to just help push him up <laughs> and it's just not I don't know I, I'd like to hear from you ladies on it but when I see that Ezer Konegdo it is a, a like a face-to-face -face. it has very much to do with face-to-face -face. other places it's using it when people mm -hmm. met face-to-face -face. so it's like a, a strong rescuer that meets him face-to-face -face. that's what God made for the man and head on <laughs> no. I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not really sure where you're getting like, the savior idea. Um, I'm not really sure where you're getting like the savior idea. That feels like kind of overstepping. I know that easier if I'm saying it right, it means a help. And I know that that word is used for God because he is our help. Um, but and it's like a helper alongside of, or like you said, um, along with or the face-to-face -face, or before is, is somewhere times where, how the word is used, but. Um, sure. Yeah. And I think that's where like Debbie Pearl's view really caricaturizes what God has in mind. I mean, we don't, I, I think especially as married women, our, our vision is a little different, but we're in the yoke together. We're pulling together. We both need to get up and, and fight the fight every day. I, I can't just sit on my laurels and say, well, I, I cleaned the dishes today, so I, I've done my help. I have to fight as hard as my husband does. And I think that's the point, is like, we get up and we're in the war right along with him every day. And I, I think that ties back to the Proverbs 31 woman, because when I think about the Proverbs 31 woman, um, she and I read through that she's just a gal that is getting stuff done right yeah. like she's all about taking care of business and I think um yeah sometimes we have I don't know where this comes from but a misplaced um understanding of femininity that you know we just sit around and look pretty or whatever some of us are better at that than others but um that's not the idea of femininity that I have, you know, I think of um, women working and working hard and um, yeah, we talked some about in the chat about birthing children and that sort of thing. That's like the most powerful thing, um, experience that there is. But uh, so yeah, I don't know um, this idea of coming alongside and working with and, and just taking care of business, I think is a big part of that idea and what's what's in that passage. I, I looked up the words Azer Konegdo and it says it could mean lifesaver. So it does have a, a little bit of a connotation of rescuing, but 
back to what Abby said. Well, we were talking about it in the chat, and I just thought that that um, Sarah's link that she sent, if anyone read it, about uh, the Aztec women um, when yep. they were giving birth. You, why don't you explain that? That's just a pretty cool thing. And it kind oh. of brings up the, the fact that that women in bearing children and in being women are actually that's not a demeaning term it's a powerful one uh, it's I, I read it several months ago i think and kind of the idea it was talking about aztec women and they were treated the same as a warrior like when the woman was giving birth and I don't, i'm not saying we need to Im go imitate these people right but when a woman is, was giving birth, the midwives would be, they would shout out war cries. And if she were to die in labor, they treated her like a, like a soldier that died in battle. And I think Christian culture is kind of falling down here. It, we're, we're, we kind of have this idea of this, like, oh, soft, fuzzy baby and things like that. And that's our idea of childbirth. But anyone who's been there, it's not soft and fuzzy. It's, it's a battle. It's a battle, but it's very empowering as a woman mm -hmm. because you are bringing forth life. Yep. And I really think sometimes, um, like I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but to me, that is some of the essence of femininity is that we are life givers. Mm -hmm. and, and, and the Aza Konegda word has that idea. This, this virtue, the Hebrew word has that idea. When you are a life giver, oftentimes it's a battle to like mm -hmm. bring life into a situation or in to even birth in help someone birthing them spiritually into greater life. That's battle. That's, that's, I mean, that takes some courage and, and um, energy that, that I think is the essence of femininity is, is that mm -hmm. life giving courage to wade in I mean, they get things done. Abby was saying, um, you know, a, a virtuous woman, she's, she gets things done. And I don't think we're talking about in the physical realm necessarily mm -hmm. so much as the spiritual realm. And birthing children physically is part of that. Um, but I think we're called to be birthers. Um, uh, and and I, I think we have a higher calling than just physically giving birth. And I think that's birthing life. Oh, yeah. Whatever I come into, whatever situation, whatever relationship, I am meant to bring life and birth life forth. And that takes a great deal of courage and intention. And and, and I when I when I hear so the number of years ago, I don't know, 12, 15 years ago, when I first read a, the term that was used for help me, translate help me, the Azer Connecta word, I was so empowered by that knowledge. Um, it was it was transformative for me really as a woman to embrace who I who I'm am really as a woman and now hearing this this actual definition for virtuous woman is actually almost like warrior woman which is sort of an identity i really like i really like that that imagery i i just like it and yeah when i when i when i realize that this this life-giving warrior woman is who god made me to be that is empowering just knowing the truth of that well, and I, th I think that we've somehow dumped femininity down to a country club type woman who, or, or a drudge, drudge, you know, in the kitchen or, you yeah. know, like, like Sarah said last time, which I thought was pretty appropriate, baking pies and, and 
bringing up children, you know, but that's not all we are. And I really like what you said, uh, Judy, about uh, bringing life into a situation, because I think women at core are life givers, because that's our that's our nature when we're bringing up children. And I think it's a, a feminine, God-given identity that, that uh, you know, we, we keep having as women to strive for, both both to our friends, our families, our husbands, our children. And some of those times bringing life into a situation is really hard and it is a battle. But yeah, even like children that have problems, you know, what do you say? How do you bring life into the situation? Go ahead, Abby, sorry. Well, I was gonna say too, I think it's important. I think we're saying this, but just to specifically, to specifically say it, that it's not necessarily about physically giving birth, right. um, but all of feminine, all of womanhood um, has this life-giving um, um, endowment or, or whatever to, you know, and that we can be life givers, whether we're actually mothers or not. Um, but then, okay, I had this thought that I want to throw out at you. Um, and we can, we can come back around if I'm, I don't want to, um, skip over anybody else, but, um, and you tell me what you think about this, if I'm far off or not, but I was thinking about how, you know, when we read, um, Song of Solomon, mm -hmm. we take that, or at least I always have, as um, being a picture of Christ and the church, Christ and his bride, and so, um, I think when we're looking at Proverbs 31, we aren't necessarily looking at a blueprint of how I'm supposed to run my house or how, like, I don't know, we don't have to dress everyone in purple or whatever. Um, but I think it's telling a story or showing us a picture of um, Christ's bride and the business that mm. he's about as, as we're doing our work here, um, setting up his kingdom and making him look good and reaching out to the poor. Um, so yeah, I just, throwing that out there. I think that kind of goes along with the um, life-giving theme of, of what we're thinking too. Sure. I, I think Proverbs 31 shows a woman who shows up and fights. I mean, it's, it's going to look different in different families, but I don't think the whole point, yeah, you're right. It, the whole point isn't, okay, let's go, let's go plant a vineyard, right? It's like, let's bring forth fruit. Let's do what we need to do. And let's show up and, and be willing to put in the effort. I mean, I know for me, I have some physical chronic health issues and some days the fight is just getting out of bed and pouring myself into my kids and that's that's just as honorable as in the old testament a man going out to war it's the same word it's the same attitude yeah um in the hebrew actually the word uh eve means life so maybe that's what you're thinking of when you <clears throat> mentioned life giving it's like Adam said, he named her Eve because she's the mother of all living, uh, something like that. So actually a name yeah. means life. Yeah. And that was before she'd ever given birth. <laughs> I, I want to just mention something here that I feel like when we talk about women that think they're just supposed to bake pies and it's a dredge and it's a, it's like two such opposite extremes. I don't think most of us women who have children and husbands I just, I don't relate to that drudgery that, that all my job is, is to bake pies and raise kids. I, I never, never felt that way, mm. but I did. So, so I'm going to be coming from this direction. 
someone who found a lot of fulfillment in motherhood, in keeping a house and being yeah. organized. And I, I loved yeah. being a mother. There was nothing drudgery about it to me. But we're, we're learning the, the meaning of Ezer Konegdo. And by the way, Abby, I, while you were talking, I was kind of looking up some things that have, where I got that idea that it has to do with rescue is just like um, Rosanna said, it actually is from a root that can, can be used as, as rescue and help. And when you see how it's translated, most other places in the Old Testament, it is God. And it's often when he's coming to deliver and to rescue. So there is an element of that there, I think, even though that's not the whole thing. But what I'm saying is that was life-changing for me, not because all of a sudden it made being a mom and a wife meaningful, but because it took me to a place where I had responsibilities to my family, to my husband, to my children, that I had thought were totally my husband's. It, there, were, there, were, there were things that I was letting happen that were destructive because I thought mm. my whole job mm. was exalting my husband, building him up, doing things his way, even if it didn't make sense to me. You know, it's like my, my whole identity, I, I didn't see myself as being an equal in this battle. I saw myself as having to be totally under. Yeah. yeah. Which, which, um, I tell you, sometimes I literally felt like I was strapped to the deck of the ship and could say nothing about where the ship went. And I think it had a lot to do with my belief system. Um, I think that's kind of how we got to that point. I, I think that's mm -hmm. how it often happens. Our belief systems as little girls play into who we become as women. And, and I can tell you that when I was a little girl, I felt powerless and those things, the attitude of that I'm not really that or worth that much tied into how, what tied into what I brought into my marriage and, and still struggle with occasionally today, but it's not true. And I think that until we become a, a an adult and put away childish things. I almost said man, but that doesn't work for us. But that's that's when we grow up. When we grow up in Christ, we have to look at the things that formed us yeah. and question them sometimes. And that's that's a battle in itself. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, what identity comes in? For sure. I, I think the the biblical view of women as helpers in the real sense it flips both like passive womanhood and feminism on its head i mean i was raised in a very feminist household and i went you know i was exposed to that a lot in school and things like that and if we have come to it with a viewpoint that our husbands need us that the church needs us that we have to leap in with this will to fight that flips both of them on their heads and tosses them in the trash where they belong <laughs> I think like the common misunderstanding of all of these words is that we put them in this, in this dainty box, if, if I could illustrate it. Like we put it in a box that's like, you know, whether it's the word virtue or helper or whatever it is, we, we put it in this like female box. People think these are like very, very unique feminine values, but they're all actually words used for God. 
So in, in a sense, when you embody these values, you are reflecting God and it's like a relationship that you have that is like, you are becoming more like him. It's, you know, it's, even, it's image bearer stuff. Like we yeah. bear his image and this is part of it. I love that. So what does God's girl look like? The thing about the image of God, I actually had just written down here, and this is a quote from someone else, and I'm sorry, I don't have the, the person's name here, but um, in Genesis 1.27, we read that Elohim filled the Adam, which is the Hebrew word meaning human, with his shadow. So he placed a representation of himself in the man. But we also read in this verse that Elohim filled them male and female, meaning that he placed within each his attributes, his male attributes to the man and his female attributes to the women. But there's, I think overlap. there's overlap, definitely. That this is this writer's thing. But the idea that God actually breathed into into women himself also, mm. not just to men. So yeah, we're filled we're we're part of his his plan in a very strong way. Oh yeah. I I think too it's easy to sort of take, at least for me with where I come from, it's easy to sort of take a, a bent to this that it's like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm empowered and I don't, I don't need no man, right? That's very much how I grew up. And I kind of swung the extreme opposite when I first got married. Where like, I literally wouldn't go to the grocery store without calling my husband. And it was nuts. Um, but I, I think it's just, it's, it's a lot showing up and jumping in the yoke right? That's what God does with us. If he empowers us, he gives us the strength to do something. And that's what we get to be. And that's way more than, than any of these definitions we see. And you know, even with the yoke of oxen, if one ox pulls, the other one won't go. <laughs> I mean, and the other one doesn't go, you don't get forward motion. So yeah, when, when both people, you know, whoever's in the relationship, whether it's Christ in the church or or uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ, or your husband and wife, or your your family and you, if we don't pull together and appreciate both genders and, and, and both um, the attributes that women and men have to bring into the relationship, we won't go forward. And I, I think part of the bias is that when we read the Bible, we are reading it through cultural lens. We're reading it through the translators who decided to use the word virtue, which is kind of like a, a fluffy, you think of like a Puritan woman or like a very morally. Very proper. Decent, yeah, proper, well-behaved. And we're reading it through like cultural lens. We're not thinking back maybe to, to the Bible times. Uh, we're kind of like we have these cultural shades that we see through maybe like people think that going back to the bibles going back to the 1950s or going back <laughs> to the victorian era and a lot of what you guys mentioned in terms of stereotypes like a woman who does nothing who just sits and embroiders a lot of that comes from history where they were like victorian femininity was all about these rich ladies who did nothing all day literally they didn't even raise their kids they they outsourced it to me so they were expected to do nothing and that was to be a woman so that, i think it that, yeah that was the ultimate but now i think it's switched or i should say in my parents age or, or before that we switched from 
a woman that does nothing to women that does everything, you know, hoes the garden, goes out and plows with their husband, you know, goes, uh, plants a garden, cans everything, does all the, uh, does all the work and, and does it, pitches in to help her husband do his work. So that became like a woman of power as in kind of not that feminine, not that, I don't know how to explain it, but I was, I was, would have been raised with, I would have been raised with lazy, laziness hung over the cultural, um, maybe it's a Germanic work ethic, I never tolerant so. anything, like less than, less than 150%. <laughs> And I think that misses the entire point. I, I, I know that, I guess that's where I keep going back to the showing up thing, the like going in like a soldier to battle. Because I know there were times in my life where I literally couldn't get out of bed, like physically couldn't get out of bed. And I wrestled with that. It's like, oh no, I'm failing my husband. Oh no, I'm not being this virtuous woman. I'm not being this helper. And Joel came alongside me and went, you know what? No, you're showing up in the way that God is giving you to show up. You have this assignment that God's given you and you're doing it. And that just totally changed my life when he really hammered that into my head. Wow. Because I think I still struggle with that, with being chronically ill, because, mm. you know, there are times when I just, oh, it hurts so bad. I don't want to get up and go to work, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, that's true. And I feel shame. If, if we are strong and healthy, Working's a joy, you know, and I don't think that should ever be negated. It's just that we need to understand that when we can't, when we're not well, or in certain seasons of life, it's really, really okay. That's not, it, yeah, it's it's doing what we can do. But for me, it's like when I look around and the dishes need to be washed and the laundry needs to be done, and it's not okay. <laughs> um and, and I, yes, and I do struggle with resting because I don't like it. I don't like the way it looks and I don't like the way it, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's hard to tell because that could be pride too. You know, I, I feel better when it's easier, when, when living is easier, you know, just um, my expectation of what needs to happen is not God's expectation of what is happening. And and being content with what God has allowed you to experience is is hard. But part of my fight is, is finding the balance between allowing other people to help and asking for help. That's also a strength, but it's not a strength that I like. It's a strength that has to do with <laughs> me having to, to accept, me having to say it's okay if I'm helpless right now. I have got to let go of my pride, and that is my fight. That's my fight. That's part of your fight, Rosanna. And what I, is what I hear you saying too that some of the shame that you feel mm -hmm. is is a, um, a, a a cultural pressure more than an actual thing that you yourself would feel. No, I feel it. I feel it because at the way I was brought as up is if you're doing nothing, you're lazy. Right. So for me, resting on the couch. It's, it's hard. It's shameful. It's right. And that's, that's not because you feel like you shouldn't rest, but is there's the cultural expectations of, I must accomplish this to be a woman of value. 
yeah and you know I what you're probably it. right it is probably external but i've i've pretty much embraced you've it you've internalized that <laughs> yeah that culture yeah. See, and i think that like i'm hearing gwen talk about like how i loved keeping house and i loved organizing my household and making it run smoothly and raising <laughs> my children and all the things that make her such a good mennonite mom but um i think that i think that's what trips up a lot of us that are from playing that down is there yeah. cultural um these cultural parameters expectations that like y'all i don't like to cook like cooking is not my thing um i just do not enjoy it i'd be happy if i never had to cook another meal again well that affects hospitality and we are called to be hospitable um to welcome people into our homes to to share around the table together and um and so i do not have as many dinner guests or whatever as some some people in my community do because because i'm i i'm 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 not and i can feel shame about this because i don't meet the cultural expectations for what a good christian woman is and she's always a good cook and always has guests a lot. What was so, um, what blessed me a number of years ago, um, some ladies at my church, we were having a discussion about hospitality. Our church is strong on hospitality. Our, our pastor encourages lots of hospitality. And I was just sharing how I just, I don't feel like I measure up, you know, um, in that area. And my pastor's wife looked at me and she said, Judy, you do great. She said, we don't all do hospitality the same way. And she really blessed me because I do spend a lot of time with people one-on-one, -on -one, um, going out for coffee with them or even having them come, come over for coffee. It's not a meal, but it's coffee or, you know, that type of thing. And she said, Judy, you do a lot of hospitality. It just takes a different shape, a different form. And I think we, I think in plain culture, we put, we have, we have all these, we have all these expectations and parameters. And when we don't quite measure up to them, then we feel less than we feel a lot of shame around that and i think when i when i'm hearing that that the characteristics of a virtuous woman well if you live the characteristics of valor and courage and entering into battle for for people's um, for, for life um that's going to take different shape for all of us mm -hmm. and it can free us from those cultural constraints that maybe our gifting don't mesh with well and our, our abilities or our interests um, it can free us from those constraints to actually be life givers, um, to be that's, with women. That's really cool because, yeah, I don't have people over because most of the time my house is messy. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not able to get up and clean the house and then serve a decent meal at the same time. It just doesn't happen. <laughs> but yeah, um, but yeah, I do a lot. I mean, I'm doing this podcast. I've started Life Ring. I've, I've. Uh, I'm doing school. I'm working two jobs. I, ouch! I'm embarrassing myself. But yeah, I guess I do do a lot. But I do things that I can do, and I give what I can give. So yeah, I'm fighting my own way. Right. Being chronically ill doesn't stop me. Right. <laughs> I have a story where um, when I was fairly newly married, I had a older um, pastor's wife tell me she said sometimes the most spiritual thing that you can do is to take a nap <laughs> and so uh, i have i have kept uh, that little wow. nugget. <laughs> good advice that's awesome yeah and then another funny thing 
coming, um, not being part of the playing culture before we were um, in it or, or more familiar with it or whatever, I kind of had this idea that, yeah, everybody canned everything and everybody gardened everything, everybody sewed all their clothes. Um, and then when I actually got to know people, I realized that, yeah, that's not reality. <laughs> different people have their different strengths, but um, just as kind of a funny story, I had this friend that's Amish Mennonite and she does not bake. And so anytime there's something, um, a church carry-in or whatever, she buys things from the grocery store bakery, takes them out of the package and puts them on her own dish <laughs> and takes it to church. I just take it in the box. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel like I left a wrong impression. What Judy said back to me, if, if any of you had known me when I was raising my family, I did not fit the mold of our culture. And what, it, I, what I said is I loved what I was doing. I didn't say I did it like everybody around me did. For one thing, I was raised by a very non-conventional mom. She was a cake decorator and a caterer and a florist, and she was not the typical Mennonite mom. And, and I, I've always cooked very simple. I shouldn't say always. I'm doing more of it now. But when my children were young, when I had company, I cooked very simple meals. But what I was trying to say is I feel like there has become almost a, and I say this carefully because I have been told that I make young moms feel bad and that's the last thing I want to do. But there's been almost a popularity lately of, of that a woman is not being honest unless she admits that it's a struggle and you resent your children some days and and I see among the young moms, some of the bloggers and stuff, this, this thing that I literally saw one of them. It wasn't a blogger, but it was in the comments. She said, my mom was one of the few honest women in her day. And she was referring to admitting that this isn't fun, but you got to do it kind of thing. And I'm just saying, I just want all the young women listening to know that being a mom can be a glorious thing. You don't have to do it exactly like everybody else. My sister said my children always looked like they were dressed from yard sales. They were dressed from yard sales. <laughs> and, um, I sewed one dress for my little girl. I only had the one little girl. Um, and so I could find enough dresses at thrift stores and yard sales for her. So I was not the stereotypical mom. What I was meaning to say is I loved being a mom. Uh -huh. <laughs> on that being a mom thing too I think it kind of goes back to that life giver mentality um, if you plug into that then that's when the drudgery stuff can become a joy because you're not doing it it's not just a drudgery that has to be done but you're doing it in service to the people that you love and I think when you can view um, making those pies or cleaning the toilets or whatever as a ministry um, and giving life to your family or to um, other people as they come into your house. I think that's the difference maybe. And we, you know, we all have our off days, our bad days, but yeah, I think there's something about plugging into that um, life giver mentality that makes the difference. And a shout out for those of us who aren't 
uh, maybe in the mom stages or those of us who are single, it's a drudgery sometimes to go to work or always be dependent on somebody else. Or, <laughs> I mean, there's always different aspects of life that we're going to look at and say, oh man, just get me out of here. But in reality, you know, it's, it's, there's, whatever you do, whether you're a man or a woman, there's just stuff that you have to do. And it seems like drudgery. And for those of us who can do it gracefully and, and, you know, buck up and endure a little bit sometimes, you know, or, or actually say, Hey, you know what, I'm going to throw myself into this and, and, and enjoy what I can of it. That's still life. It's still life giving and it's still fighting valiantly. I think that goes back to why the Proverbs 31 woman was so valuable, right? Because back then, if you didn't know how to cook or do basic life things, you wouldn't have survived. Like, you can't just, like, drive down to McDonald's and pick up food back in Bible times, okay? But the, the Proverbs 31 woman, one woman was so valuable because of who she was, because she put everything into what she had. And not just not because she was this great agriculturalist or this great you know homemaker it was because she was she she put her soul into her her calling and, and in that case it was her family or her real estate purchasing <laughs> yeah yeah I, I just really think that i can look at her with a lot more freedom now than i used to be able to <laughs> yeah that's what a little oh sorry now, that's what a lot of people say when they read Proverbs 31. They just feel like a failure. Uh, but a lot of people approach the entire Bible, the entire faith like that as well. Like um, they turn it into, like even prayer can become a performative thing. We can be like, why can't I be like that other, other Christian who prays for 12 hours or who prays until 4 a.m.? You know, why can't I be like that other Christian who reads the Bible for you know, so many hours. It, it, the performative thing is something that is common to all Christians, I think, not just women. But I think the Proverbs 31, if you interpret it in that performative way, it becomes like a, a bondage. And then you can't see what God intends. You can't see yourself. It's just like this, this kind of weight, I guess. What about my um, thought that maybe this is a picture of what the church should be. And when we think of it as a community thing, like um, not everybody can do everything all the time, um, but when we fit into a body, then things get done. So I, I don't know if I'm like really overreaching there or not, but um, yeah, I just, there's so much in there that she's doing. She's doing this and she's doing this and she's doing this. And as a body, as a church body, we're able to accomplish so much more. And it's all about making um, our, our husband, Christ, look, look good. That's pretty good. Well, like I could cook a meal for Judy or she could, what does she do? Yeah, she could give me advice on raising, you know, kind of <laughs> difficult kids occasionally um but yeah i mean if we were all there picking up where the other person can't do as well that would be cool i mean as well, a body I, believers. along along with that um that's a that's a 
totally different way of, of looking at this passage, Abby, that I've ever even considered. And I, yeah, I'm pondering on that, but I'm also wondering, okay, so I've also thought about that good grief, you know, this woman did not do that entire list of things in one year's time, you know? So there will be a season where I might buy a field and it might just be one season of my life, but there it is in the list and another season where I'm doing, and in the scope of our lives, you know, if we are really Azer Connecto warrior women who are partnering with God and what he does, there is going to be a, a, a lot of things that um, we yoke together with him to accomplish. We jump into what we see him doing and we accomplish, but I've also as I'm looking at the passage um, again, I'm wondering if this is if this is poetic, if this is symbolic kind of stuff. Like, what are the parallels? Um, are there are there parallels to it? And I think that kind of fit ties with your, you know, possibility possible way of looking at it, Abby. I don't know what y'all's thoughts are about on that. I mean, you you have to look at what she isn't doing in this passage, right? She isn't teaching her kids. She isn't cleaning her house. She isn't doing all the stuff that is the meat and bread and butter of, of daily life. Not to mention she had an army of servants. <laughs> but um, I, I think, Abby, your point is really, it kind of gets to, I think, what the heart of the church is. Is it's like, yeah, we need to be virtuous and working in our homes and we need to get stuff done, but we need to do it together. If we just are all focused on, okay, I'm going to take care of my little circle here. We missed the entire point of the church. I mean, if the gates are, is the world, if the gates are, are, are people, it's going to make a whole lot more sense. I don't know. I think, I think we need, we need each other. And the minute we think, okay, I'm self-sufficient. I've got my whole house together. I've got everything in all my ducks in a row. Chances are we're leaving some other woman in the dust who needs our help. You got me to thinking though. When she was, when, when her husband was at the gates, was she there too? I think she was too busy. <laughs> well, it says here that the gates are where all the elders sit, so probably not. She didn't have to weigh in on any heavy stuff. But Deborah, Deborah might have, but nobody else. <laughs> Well, Interestingly, I think we people always focus on the action part of it, but towards the end of the chapter, it, it's it seems to to be more about like character. It seems to discuss a little bit more about like uh, the person that she is, and not just the things that she does, not just like buying fields and stuff. Because it says like she uh, she what's that fears the Lord. You know, she's kind and wise and stuff like that. It's not just a lot of doing. And she laughs at the future. I love that. That's one of my... Yeah. <laughs> Me too. That just with strength and dignity and laughs without fear of the future. I'm with you, Abby. That's one of my favorite little phrases in there. She's dank. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's virtuous. <laughs> She's dank. <laughs> the dank woman. <laughs> well, uh, that's pretty neat, though. Because I got to thinking a woman who is a woman of valor is not going to be scared. 
-hmm. I mean, she's, she might feel overwhelmed at times when the battle gets a little rough, but she's not going to have anything to be fearful about, so she can laugh at the future. There's a kind of courage, and it says she fears the Lord, so that could be something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Well, say she puts on, she girds herself with strength, and that kind of sounds a lot like um, the armor that we put on as Christians. It's not our strength, it's his strength. Um, it's not, she's putting that strength on. And so, um, yeah, we get that from the Lord. We talked a little bit about kind of um, that, that uh, spiritual armor that we put on too. Yeah, and that, that putting on the strength, that speaks of choice. Like this stuff doesn't just happen. I choose to step into the role of, of virtue, valor. Um, and Rosanna, when you said she's not afraid, I'm thinking, okay, well, that's not me. I, I have moments of fear, um, but, but it's when I choose to step forward because I'm choosing to um, press into or grab hold of the strength that God is. God is my strength. He's my portion then I can, then I can laugh. I might still feel the fear, right. but I know that I do not need to fear. And I, I, I choose to, um, put on, you know, clothe myself. There's just choice. And I, I think, yeah, that's, it's not, it doesn't just happen. It's, it's, I, I choose to step into that. I think, I think the bravest people are not, it's not that they're not scared. It's that they do, they do go into the fight. It's, you can't you can't do something with you know that might impact your life you know that might without being scared but you're going to do it because you're courageous you're brave right yeah and the the Septuagint which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew it actually you translates the word uh, virtue or valor it translates it as kind of like manly and courageous and. <laughs> It, it's literally like a, a feminine adjective, but it means kind of like manly and courageous. And I think it, a it's sort of woman. like, <laughs> yeah, so the joke is like, who can find a manly woman for her work is far above Ruby. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's, I suppose the translators were trying to find the closest adjective that would describe what they were looking to describe, which was like, courage it just so happened to have that kind of like tinge to it in greek but i don't think we need to take that and run with it <laughs> well, I'm just sure, thinking, yeah. i think i'm ready to ask my husband if, if he would like to have a manly woman <laughs> <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> you let us know what his comeback is <laughs> well he'll have one it seems like they're the what like the essence of a man i guess what comes to mind is like someone who just like has this raw strength and runs with it right like a, you know a man's out there like plowing a field like he's got the you know it's kind of a paw ingles type of, of um and <laughs> i think we can have that kind of strength too i don't know i'm not pulling a plow anytime soon but i mean it, it takes a raw strength to show up and do what you gotta do and to pour yourself into whatever assignment god has for you that takes raw strength and it takes sometimes overcoming Kind of, I don't know about you, ladies, but the tendency I have as a woman is to go and shut down if I can't do everything perfectly. Like, oh no, I can't handle this. I'm not even going to try. And and strength shows up. 
So that that begs a question. I know in our prep for this episode, we were talking about um, the courage, the courage that it takes to have, I mean, we often think of virtue as kind of being moral excellence, but even if that is what the virtue, if that's the virtue you're gonna refer to, that takes courage to choose moral excellence. Um, so then I'm thinking about this, and, and one of the questions that we kind of threw out there was like, um, that female courage is maybe different than male courage, but I'm wondering, is it? Is, is if we're looking at a manly woman, <laughs> You know, that raw, like you talked about, Sarah, the raw courage that just steps up and shows up. Um, is, is the courage different or is, the, is, is it just that the arena of battle is often different? Just curious. Oh, yeah. I the think the arena, the arena of battle is. Because here's, and here's something that kind of ties it together. It says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, and I really like that, because you can't do anything more after you've done everything. You've done everything, so you're just standing and that's kind of hard <laughs> um it says after you have done everything to stand stand mm -hmm. firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist so women of truth with the breastplate of righteousness in place the women of righteousness your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace in addition to all this take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Women can do all this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. My, favorite, my favorite line in this, in the whole uh, Proverbs 31 chapter is that one that um, in her tongue is the law of kindness. That has always been a great motivator to me. That's a law of kindness. It's like when you open your mouth, there is kindness and life. And uh, takes, that takes tremendous strength all by itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the word girding of loins, is, it, it actually does relate to like Ephesians where it's talking about the armor of God and about going into battle because there's an illustration that was on the internet it's quite funny like how you take a robe uh how in bible times the men would take their robe and they would roll it up and turn it into like a, a a pair of shorts kind of thing and then they would run into battle i could send it to you guys but it's like it's a hilarious illustration and somebody recently was like well that's why women and men are different because men gird up their loins and women don't but now it says now that women do gird up their loins <laughs> Yeah, we actually had that discussion too um, when that person made that comment. One of my daughters was like, uh-uh, in Proverbs 31, that woman's girding <laughs> up too. So, yeah. Women can wear shorts too. <laughs> oh, Rosetta, you're treading yeah. dangerous ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, that's, that's just like, it's like what we have to do um yeah in the spiritual way is what we have to do sometimes uh running you know i think 
that there's there's times when we have to um when we have to um charge ahead with some things that we don't like and that we don't feel like are are safe um and it looks to other people quite um uncommon yeah or or even anti whatever the situation is but in reality sometimes fighting is is hard for for people who have to make bad choices it seems like bad choices in order to accomplish something better i'm trying to think of a biblical example you know it, something better than jail pounding a stake into a man's head um I, in a sermon i heard when somebody mentioned that moses's mom had had to roll up her sleeves and get her arms really dirty to make that basket to send him out in because it was tar and it's disgusting stuff so she wore no like like dainty fingers uh-huh i i think that abigail is a great example of a woman who did something hard and courageous and really bold because it needed to be done yeah exactly that's that's a good picture like that like that you get the picture of, of almost scandalous with abigail she really was and i think there's times when when we gird up our loins it's 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 not very um it doesn't seem very becoming and it can almost seem scandalous sometimes and we're called to step into things that are yeah that are going to be kind of abigail type stuff that are quite scandalous but it does not detract from the femininity or or the glory of god in us um and there will be times when i when we won't be understood for those choices um don't you think people questioned like Abigail and Esther um for taking those strange positions and uh, and Naomi not this is not this is not a Hebrew thing you don't do yeah. that you know Naomi for taking yeah. for bringing her Moabitess daughter-in-law back with her and yeah uh no you were talking about like the arena of courage well i mean in the early church or in places like that i guess martyrdom would have been the same regardless yeah like there was an old saint from like from the early church um two of them i think perpetua and felicitas and i think perpetua had just had a baby and then not long after she was thrown to the lions mm. um, so, or if you read the old books of martyrs or what not Uh, it's the arena that they had to be courageous was not all that different it's a lot better than having to i mean a lot worse than having to cook a large meal for a large crowd of mennonites <laughs> i don't know it could be uh, being fed to the lions i don't know <laughs> but yeah oh. <laughs> anyway yeah Um now I think it's kind of it's kind of interesting how we each have our own sort of scary stuff sometimes but in reality it's not that scary when you think of people like Perpetua or whoever whoever else sorry whoever else you were talking about <laughs> they showed up to what God assigned them to do yeah and they I think we can go through the hard things that we have to face with the same kind of courage we think we have to 
Right. And I, you know, I, this would be a whole other discussion. Did God assign them to that or were they just thrown into that and their assignment in that was faithfulness and, and courage, but they showed up, like you were saying, they showed up in the way that a woman of valor, a woman of, of virtue does and faithfully, yeah, we'll, we'll meet them. We'll meet them someday because of that. Um, yeah. So we're going to wrap up with some trivia, some interesting trivia. And so I think um, we were talking some about a virtuous woman not being the ultimate housewife. So I'm going to ask you a question. What is the household chore that you find the most detestable <laughs> or the most, um, you find the most, I don't know, it gives you the most drudgery, sense of drudgery? Cleaning my, cleaning my kitchen. I mean, I, I don't mind washing up everything, but I hate putting things back in the refrigerator. <laughs> you got to get all the right containers and you got to, and then you wonder if it's going to go in there to die in there. <laughs> How about you, Gwen? Cleaning my oven. Oh. Yes. And somehow I haven't figured out uh, the last stove that I bought. It was supposed to be a self-cleaning oven, but it's not really. It sort of has a steam feature or something, and it, the oven still needs clean. I, I don't even have to question what my worst job is. It's cleaning the oven. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Abby? Um... Okay, so this is going to be gross, but we have cats, and so my least favorite thing is cleaning the litter boxes, and I should have put that onto a child a long time ago, but I hate it. This is going to be funny. I hate it so much, I don't want them to have to do it, <laughs> and so that's my thing. The law of kindness <laughs> is in your uh, job assignment. Bless your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Sarah. Oh boy. The funny thing, I love mopping floors, but actually getting down and picking up stuff, like I cannot do it. it it's pretty hilarious because my kids will go, okay, mom's picking up the broom and they'll real quick, go get like a box and put all this stuff in it. So I don't have to pick it up off the floor because otherwise everything gets swept into a pile. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I do that and tell my son to come and pick his Legos out of the, you know, dirt pile. <laughs> he does it. He knows I will throw them away. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm just not <clears throat> very consistent when it comes to cleaning or laundry or whatever. So I just leave it off to the last minute and I do a huge load. So cleaning or doing anything like that is just like, as long as I can stretch it and I do it all at once. <laughs> yeah. And I, I have this joke, like mm, the house needs to be cleaned. I should make another YouTube video. <laughs> 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 well, I, I said um, earlier that, that I don't, uh, cooking isn't my strength. I, I can cook, um, but somehow it's just, is one of the, it is the task that feels most overwhelming to me. Um, and you know, it needs done. Uh, meals need to be put on the table three times a day because I have growing children. So ah, I'm learning endurance. Okay. Well, it was good to chat and we will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for joining us for the Kingdom Women podcast.